On March 1st, Americans for Prosperity New Mexico hosted a press conference moderated by the ACLU and featuring the co-founders of Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream. The press conference was to urge support for HB4, which would bar the use in state courts of the Qualified Immunity Defense. HB4 became law in New Mexico on April 7th. How did this ideologically diverse coalition come together? That's what we're talking about today on Insight to Action. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Insight to Action. I'm Dwayne Lester. Normally, we'd go right into the interview, but you're going to hear a lot of voices in this podcast and I want to make sure you know who we're talking to. So right out of the gate, we're going to be talking with Burley Kane. He's the state director for AFP in New Mexico. Burley's going to introduce his team, Stephen Despin and Brenda Boatman. Also on this podcast, we have a couple of folks from policy. Greg Glad is a policy fellow dealing with criminal justice reform. And Jeremiah Mosteller is a senior policy analyst dealing in criminal justice reform as well. John Purcell will be in this. He works in strategic partnerships and Kevin Brenniger, who works in media relations. All different voices. Hopefully you can keep up with them. I believe Burley does a good job in naming names before he calls them in. And I believe you should be able to at least get an idea of how much went into building this coalition over more than a year and how that coalition increased power and eventually led to the success they saw. Here we go. What I'm really looking to do is really understand how this collaboration all came to fruition, what, what we were doing and how, how we made this happen. So I don't know who wants to start, whether it's Burley or Greg, but tell us, first of all, tell us how this all got started and then walk us through how it all happened. Well, thanks, Dwayne. I, I, um, I could certainly tell the story, but I won't do it justice. I'd like Stephen to start the story because he really took the lead um, a long time ago and um, he can kick off how this whole thing kicked off with the ACLU. So... When I first started, my, my very first week with the organization was at Allstaff in Cincinnati. Uh, and so when we were up there, I was watching everybody go up on stage. And I was watching tons of state chapters get awards for CJR policy that they had done. And, and a lot of them were doing it working with the ACLU. And, and the ACLU had never worked with us here. And so when we were leaving, I asked Burley, I said, you know, why aren't we working with the ACLU on any CGR stuff here? And he said, well, they, they haven't worked with us. I said, well, when we get back, I'm, I'm going to work with the ACLU on, on CJR. And so when we got back, I made it my mission to get them to sit down with me, which was not very easy. They really didn't like us here because they opposed us on donor disclosure. And so... I just blew them up everywhere I could. I found one of their policy, a senior policy analyst, Paul Hedell, on Twitter and LinkedIn, and I just started blowing them up everywhere I could. I was calling them, leaving them messages, emailing them, messaging them on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, and and I I couldn't hear back from them. I didn't hear back from them. And finally, I saw they were hosting a CGR symposium at the Marriott here in Albuquerque. And so I registered, we went to their event and I was taking pictures from the audience of Paul up on stage in the panel. And so I posted it to Twitter and I tagged him in it telling, say, and said, hey, having a great time at the CJR Imposium. Looking forward to hearing some uh, ideas on some really great ways we can bring some CJR here to New Mexico. And I tagged him in it. And like five minutes after I tagged him in that, he, he sent me a message on LinkedIn and said, hey, can we sit down next week? And so Burley and I went and sat down with them and they were a little bit skeptical at first. And so they only gave us one bill that they were going to work with us on. And that was an occupational licensing for felons bill. And so we started working with them on that. And and it just kind of snowballed into a lot of other things as we started building trust, which ultimately led us into the QI fight. I thought you were going to say yeah, they asked if we'd sit down and that's when they issued the restraining order. But we didn't let that stop us. <laughs> 
Yeah, Stephen really deserves a the credit for the entire collaboration beginning and, and did a ton of hard work to make sure that he saw the value creation and and put in that value that contribution mindset and just was determined. And through a lot of hard work and careful partnership, built a relationship with Baron Jones at ACLU and Paul Hadel, who's now moved on to the mayor's office. And that started a relationship that has become a really strong partnership for us, uh, where we align in, in our Douglas model and provided a, a great collaboration that stayed true and held through one of the most complex issues that I've ever worked on and and is led to the point where we're we're there's a lot more story to tell here. So I don't want to get ahead of it, but it's it's been it's held through the whole thing. And we worked with Hadel in, in the previous sessions. Uh, built a relationship with him and Baron Jones, got to know some of their other collaborative partners. And Brenda, about a year and a half ago, came onto the team around the same time and started to uh, work in those relationships and lobbying uh, alongside all of us. Brenda, what is your take on that as as you guys began to develop those relationships in criminal justice reform? Uh, it's been great. I mean, I love having conversations. You can tell when we're the most conservative group in the room and the conversation tends to shy away from some of the other aspects of the bill or the or the issue it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch but at the same time it's like you know you guys are okay you can talk about that in front of us it's just even though we don't agree with it we're okay talking about it but it's been really great to form this i'd call it an alliance but i'm kind of a reality TV show nerd. So um, it's definitely fun to have a group of people that we have each other's backs. Like as soon as one of us knows the information, the whole group knows the information. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to build a relationship like that based on areas where it's a Frederick Douglass model. And we're really working with them to do good where we do align. But the trust is is phenomenal. It's it's just it's mind blowing to see where it's gone over the last year. We had a special session where we established a civil rights commission, and ever since then we've just been working towards getting this legislation passed. We finally got it passed, and we're waiting for the governor to sign it. We have high hopes for that, but we're looking forward to what's what we're going to be working on in the future and where we can align to kind of really help give that conservative aspect of criminal justice reform and why we see things the way that we do. It's been interesting to see the reactions from conservatives and the left side of the aisle kind of going, well, why do you care about this? And it's been fun to share other areas where they wouldn't know what we would work on. We're able to have those conversations, even if it's not something that's relative to a bill right now, we're just opening up those doors everywhere we look. So it's it's a lot of fun. I just wanted to add a little to Brent, what Brenda was saying about the trust that was built um, within a phone call I had gotten from Barron to show the contrast uh, right after we had gotten HB4 passed the legislature here. And so when we first started with the ACLU, like I had said, they were super skeptical of us. And and so after session, we had done the press conference with Ben and Jerry before the, uh, the end of session. And then when session ended, Barron had called me to congratulate me on getting the bill passed. And he said... I, that he had wanted to mention it was busy, that he had forgot to mention to me, but he had noticed on the press conference that somebody from his organization had made a really rude comment about us in the comments of it. And so he actually had he actually approached somebody within his own organization to defend us when a year and a half ago they didn't even trust working with us on more than one bill. Yeah, I you know, I I, I it's amazing how that's developed and, and the friendships we now have with those guys that are genuine, um, getting to know them. And it's another powerful part of what we do and having the culture that we have here is that top to bottom, whether you're working in the state or you're working in other parts of our organization, everybody shares an aligned vision on criminal justice reform and in our capabilities and our different sets of teams that we have, we're able to pull together an incredible comms team effort, an incredible policy team effort, an incredible outreach to our corporate partners. And I think it's great to have everybody on the call here. You can hear kind of how everybody came together. And all of those things 
played a part in putting a positive support for the bill in messaging to the communities across New Mexico and in organizing our policy awareness of this, which uh, Greg will talk about, but is really all these things were really important. Our voice helped make the bill better. If we hadn't been a part of it, they would have made a bill that was different than it is today. And I think it's a great example of how all of us coming together, all these different groups, uh, different perspectives, we organized something that was better together. So uh, Kevin and Greg and John, maybe you guys can jump in. And Kevin, what do you think about the comm side? Or, or Greg, I see your hands up. Why don't you kick it off and take it from the policy side? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And so I, I've been in the um, America's Prosperity now for probably about 18 months. So I've gone through two sessions uh, here, and then I worked at Run and Crime before this. So I've done a lot of national advocacy campaigns on criminal justice that you know required broad-based support from uh, the left, the right, the center, and everyone in between. Um, this is probably the you know one of the biggest surprises that I've been a part of that it actually came through looking at the opponents list to some of the reforms, understanding some of the political intricacies of New Mexico. It really reminded me a lot of the First Step Act. You had you know certain law enforcement groups out. You had strong members of the legislature against it, but you were able to see that left and right came together. You know the Van Jones, Mark Holdens of the world coming together, holding the line on their you know respective entities that that were trustworthy there to make good happen. And it really has a lot of parallels. And you saw, you know, the full weight of our, our team, you know, John bringing in incredible partnerships uh, from across the country that we've developed, you know, throughout time. Kevin doing an incredible job from the comm standpoint. You all doing a great job from the state standpoint, you know, meeting with lawmakers, making coalitions. It was such a fantastic way. It's such a great example of what this group can do and what is capable of AFP, Stand Together, and everyone else. It, it was really a thrill to be a part of from where I was at. So, yeah, and, and this is, you know, qualified immunity and ensuring that individuals' constitutional rights cannot be violated by our government without some sort of accountability, I think is absolutely critical and really mission statement one, regardless if this, that's criminal justice or anything else. We could be talking about First Amendment rights and, and other things, campus free speech. This is all going to help that out. And I, I think this is such a critical aspect of our mission statement. So it was great to get this uh, on the board. And now we're seeing other states like Illinois, New Hampshire, Michigan, Minnesota, all looking at New Mexico saying it was done here. It can be accomplished. And that's where you start to get that snowball effect. And that resonates at the federal level, too. That's exactly what happened the first step back. You saw big wins in states like Georgia, Texas, South Carolina on criminal justice. And now you're moving to the first step back passing. And now we're potentially going to see even more legislation there. States are those laboratories of democracy. And when one does it, others follow. And I think we're really going to see a great snowball effect. So congratulations to everyone involved with it. I was I was happy to have my policy part. It was terrific. Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump in there, too, Greg, and just sort of say it. It's been really fun working with with the whole team on this, like like really fun. And it really is almost where you think about like partnerships where they get exciting. You know, I think sort of the Ben and Jerry's piece all kind of evolved from I think a lot of folks in the call know that we have a pretty big second chance initiative launching uh, later this month with um, some amazing partners, the Business Roundtable and Sherm and, and Dave's Killer Bread. So we were talking with folks who are non-BRT members and um, our, our friends over at Virgin, uh, Richard Branson's group are very interested in talking about second chance for a long time, but it was one of those things where we're like, okay, what else we got? What else can we do together? And um, quickly uh, we, we honed in right on the, the campaign and qualified immunity, which is, this was like pre-launch right before Christmas. And they were like, we got so much stuff in the motion. We got to get the right people on the phone. And I'm just like, I'm not the right person to be on the phone. So being able to pull in Casey and Greg, uh, like literally right before Christmas, getting, building the relationship, building the rapport, building that trust with them. Um, with Ed and the team at the campaign Dan qualified me, it was awesome. And then, um, you know, thinking through sort of setting up uh, a leadership call, Ben and Jerry's and what can we just kind of get an experiment? Like, let's not be afraid to experiment. And I was super you know, excited timing wise that it was uh, Burley and, and his team. Cause I know you guys are always game to, to, you know, roll up your sleeves and try something new and think outside the box. So being able to kind of hand off that, that relationship to Kevin, the comms team, Greg Burley, you know, Brenda, the, the whole team there. And, and see if we could add a little extra firepower from um, from um, a, a, a group that you will probably not associate with. You know, you know, this is very much sort of that Van Jones, Mark Holden thing where uh, we really probably don't agree a lot, but but we're both committed on this issue. 
it's been really incredible just to see the press release, the the, the virtual um, uh, press conference where you know the campaigns bringing in their pieces, bringing in their players. We're helping support them on, on some back end stuff that's super helpful, and also bringing in, you know our our people just to get a robust conversation going. Mark Holden writing an op ed with Ben and Jerry, which is if you had told me that was going to happen two months ago, I'd be like, huh? It's just just really all exciting stuff, and it's it's you know. I think a testament to the the whole team about how they um, are really open to thinking outside the box and, and building coalitions and realizing how much much further you can get together as opposed to kind of maybe just driving driving relying on our own audiences. So you know, gr- great job and kudos to everyone there. And um, really excited to see what momentum we can build off of this. Is to Greg's point in other states and you know eventually when there's a viable federal bill, we'll have a lot of trust, a lot of proof points with with lots of just diverse folks who are cultural influencers uh, who are part of that campaign beyond Ben and Jerry, the NFL Players Coalition, and all the, I think the good stuff that kind of can snowball there and start small and you just grow. So a uh, great job, everybody. To add to that, uh, Stephen in our grassroots engagement director in state here is one of the great things we do in our organization. We have a team on the ground. And in this case, our bottom-up solutions really came and met up with our capabilities and our teams and our systems and and our partnerships and i don't know Stephen, if you don't mind if Dwayne, if you're good with uh steve why don't you tell them a little bit about the grassroots kind of engagement you took on this to go into the community and talk to them and activate them and get them connected to the governor and the legislators in the house and senate yeah it, but real quick i wanted to touch on something real quickly it was it was it was actually really cool how the whole ben and jerry press conference ended up working out because probably like a month before we had had the meeting with uh you john and edward edward karina the social media person for the campaign to end qualified immunity had reached out to me through an email and so we had been coordinating our social media together for like a month before we had had that meeting and in the time of that month i was trying to start to launch uh what i'm going to do as a torchbearer thursday where i sit down and do a facebook live talking about issues and so I was I had reached out to Karina to see if I could actually get Ben on for the first episode of the Torchbearer Thursday. And so she couldn't actually make that happen. Um, and she had gotten back to me and said, no, he's not going to be able to do it. And I was all I was I was like super bummed out. And then like a week after that, we had the meeting with you and Edward and then found out that you guys were talking. And then we were doing the press conference with Ben and Jerry. And so it, it all ended up like falling right together it was really cool how it ended up playing out like that with that press conference yeah it was really good it's amazing the stuff we saw we uh, we sent thousands of people's petitions into the house and senate through the uh through across the state we saw unprecedented activism um in it and it was impressive to watch what we did the videos that the the interviews the discussions live the experts we saw from art riser and others Brenda, you did a lot of those conversations, you and Stephen, and in particular, you had some great conversations. Uh, tell us about some of those guests that you had that you worked with, the policy and the other national coalition to work uh, with some of those those policy experts. Yeah, we had um, Greg, Greg Glaud here and Arthur Reiser, I think on our most recent episode or the, the one before that. I also had Diane Goldstein. She's from the Law Enforcement Action Academy. Uh, or a partnership, I'm sorry. And um, she was on the press conference with us with Ben and Jerry's as well. And she's a huge advocate for um, removing qualified immunity. And also she knew a lot about House Bill 4, even though she's in California, a retired lieutenant. The first one I did was with a victim and it was really powerful. His name's Ron Kiney. And he was arrested in New Mexico falsely for murder. And well, actually, he was in Oklahoma when he was arrested and then got extradited to New Mexico. He had an amazing story. So we just kept, you know, that communication up with people as to why, why is this important, connecting them to some of those victims, some of those stories, and then also just trying to give that conservative and that law enforcement perspective as to why good police officers would want this type of, of accountability and why the removal of qualified immunity shouldn't scare officers away from, you know, the duty that they feel called to to carry out. So 
those those were a lot of fun to do. I love the wealth of knowledge. I spent some time with Jay from Cato as well. He did a few events virtually for New Mexico prior to the session starting, and he is just a wealth of knowledge, always connecting those national resources and you know, Greg has a great relationship with him as well. So I, th- I think we were able to get an op-ed from him. We, we published multiple op-eds over the last three months or so. Well, even longer, ever since that special session where we established the Civil Rights Commission, we've just been putting out op-eds probably at least one or two a month ever since then. So it's been great to connect with these people. And it's really exciting to see what we can do moving forward, helping other states or whatever it is. It's been a lot of fun. I, um, I've been, it's been incredible to watch everybody, my team in, in state, I work with Brenda and Steven, uh, and everybody works with us to help us and, and to watch Brenda and Steven become very capable in their own right on this topic and understand how this works and, and the hard work that Ben and Jerry and, and Mark Holden and so many advocates are putting into this to watch you guys become so good at understanding this. And then to have, you know, experts, like Kevin, who is our comms director on this. Kevin, tell us about some of the uh, work that you guys did in the um, comms side of this. You, particularly, you guys uh, were part of working with John Every to put up the uh, Ben and Jerry's press release uh, that we did where um, we had our first chance to sit down with Ben and Jerry. Um, I'm hopeful we'll get a green chili QI flavored ice cream out of this at some point. But tell us a little bit about what you found, Kevin, working on this. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Well, first, I just want to commend, uh, again, all the work that Burley, uh, Stephen and Brenda did. They really, you know, did a lot of the grunt work and laid down the foundations to, you know, position us to to help get this bill across the finish line. But in terms of partnerships, I think, uh, like I said, Burley and Stephen's you know, work and developing those relationships, <clears throat> excuse me, really paid off in the end. They really positioned us on to succeed. So for, you know, one example, as part of AFP, we want to, you know, amplify, elevate voices across the country. And, you know, qualified immunity can be a little bit of a wonky topic, but through our partnerships, we were able to, you know, capture some of these individual stories that have been from New Mexicans that have been impacted by, you know, government officials violating their civil rights and not being held accountable. And so we were able to produce some videos uh, that drove people to our iVolunteer, which is a tool that people can use to contact their legislators and support or opposition of a bill. And these videos, you know, despite Facebook and Google's ad restrictions, we ran it on a, uh, another app called AdWallet, which is what really found. But those videos performed so well. Uh, they touched everyone from liberals to conservatives and you know it helped generate as Burley said thousands of people contacting the lawmakers in support of this bill um you know like i said everyone from very hard liberals to very hard conservatives and so i think that partnership really enabled us to you know really amplify these new mexicans voices and show the benefits of good policy and why the status quo needed to be changed. So, yeah, I mean, it was really uh, Burley, Brenda, Stevens' work, and, you know, Greg was phenomenal and, you know, helping ensure that all of our, you know, all the policy stuff was aligned. And then John connecting us with, you know, Ed, with Ben and Jerry really enabled us to pull off a good event and get some good earned media to highlight and amplify our efforts. Stephen, if you don't mind me asking, Tell me how long it took between your persistent badgering of the ACLU and the passage of the bill finally. How long did it take from that first contact to the passage of the bill? Uh, it, t- it took a year and a half. I've been here just over a year and a half. Uh, we went through one session together and then this session together. So who brought in Ben and Jerry then? Was that the ACLU that brought them in or, or was that our relationship? I'm not really sure initially. I, I know that Karina from the organization had been working with me on social media for about a month before we had talked with Ben and Jerry. Um, and so I'm not really sure how she had reached out to me because she originally contacted me through email. So I don't know where, where she was directed to me from. I, but I'm also really, really active on social media. And so she may have seen me on there. 
I was really driving hard on this on social media. I was taking the videos that we had, um, and I run it layered. I put out three posts a day every day from our social media. I start off with just kind of like a highly shareable good morning type post in the morning with a photo um, leading into the eyeball for the HB4 in the afternoon around noon to 1 o'clock, and then following that up with the video with a link to the eyeball in the afternoon right around 5, 530 when people get out of work. And then I share that in roughly about 46 different groups on Facebook every day, um, along with the eyeball as well. And so just 46. Yeah. So, slacker. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm really active on social media. So it's, 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 it's likely that that could have been where she found me. So, but I'm not sure really where she was directed to me from. All right. Well, one thing that, that we talk about in, in, uh, AFP is the idea of, of multiplying your power through strong coalitions. Burley, would you say that the collaboration with the ACLU helped push this across the line? There is no doubt in my mind. So ACLU has a top down, has a bottom up approach too. On uh, their own, they let their local chapters have a bit of space in how they conduct themselves. And we just didn't have a strong relationship when Steven started. And he built uh, long, he got a meeting and I sat down with them and we all sat down and had a conversation. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a careful conversation to begin. We didn't know where we were going to go. Uh, we didn't know what we could work on together. We picked something and we started working on a bill that may pass this year, which was not what we were working on in QI, but that began a, Tense understanding of trust. And in a space where we agreed, we started to have conversations, um, get to know each other and work together. And you start with the ACO at the local level, their national group. They have organizational connections to Ben and Jerry's like we do and, and what work that John does every day to develop those relationships. And, and certainly others do. And, and someone like Ben and Jerry are very committed to qualified immunity reform specifically from what I have been told and understand of them. And, and so they're very, very interested in this. And so they're watching and working and Ed and his team are doing that. Our work was very, very focused on just that relationship with ACLU. And that led to a moment when we could all work together, when the Innocence Project came together, Institute for Justice came together, um, the Trial Attorneys Association came together, the Speaker of the House. We built a relationship with the Speaker of the House here that we didn't have because of this. And we got to know Ben and Jerry. I think our organization built a strong relationship nationwide because of this. And, you know, the book, Believe in People, I think so accurately defines how this worked. And uh, Frederick Douglass talked about working with anyone to do good and none to do harm. And, and so we stayed focused in the place where we understood each other. And um, we worked from the bottom up. And at some point along that course, that magic happens where we're all like, I don't know exactly where they came. Everybody came together and it certainly did happen. And I think it happened in a lot of different ways at the same time. A lot of the people who are looking to find a way to get there together uh, don't know who they can talk to, who they're going to work with, who I, I would never have guessed that I would be on this podcast talking about this today to John's earlier point. And I would never have guessed that uh, we would have an op-ed with Mark Holden and Ben and Jerry. But I, I think that one relationship at a time with Baron Jones and Paul Hadel, um, working with the two of us in a meeting in the ACLU offices a year and a half ago, you can do anything from just small places, from, from humble beginnings and the right kind of respect and courage. You can really build amazing things. And that's, I think, such a powerful thing. This QI is such a crucial issue. It is such an important part of America right now in, in getting everybody into a respectful and, and, and healing place around the country. And, and yeah, I do think it's wild to see how far it came, but it came from that, the, that one meeting in, in some part and um, uh, many others, but they intersected in a great way. There's a quote from Ralph Nader that I'm constantly quoting on this podcast, and I still can't believe that I go around quoting Ralph Nader, but he's absolutely <laughs> right. He was he was on stage with Grover Norquist at Lindenwood University in St. Charles, uh, Missouri, and he said, nothing terrifies a politician more than seeing the left and the right 
united against them. And yet Amen. there seems to be such opposition or such hesitation to do this. And part of that hesitation could be from a concern of how the activists or the, the volunteers working with a specific organization might respond. Because there is such polarization in the country right now. And, and, and there are some people who will refuse to work with that, that organization regardless. And I'm curious what kind of response you've seen from the people that you work with in New Mexico. Well, it does happen. You have people who are so connected to one thought, one, one outcome, that the cognitive dissonance is too much. To have um, more ideas than that way of thinking to um, that, that their, their group, their tribe, their, their or, um, party, however you want to look at the, the identity they connect to, it doesn't align with it. And they don't know how to, how to be in that space with somebody that they're not used to working with, even if they align with them. And, and they're willing to walk away because it, it sometimes feels like it has to be an all or none thing for people. And I th we do find that to happen a little bit. But uh, if you're one of the things that I found in my work, one of the keys is that you have to be respectful. And if you maintain a respectful engagement, even with people who disagree with you, you can come back later to that conversation and start it in a place where you do agree. And uh, some people never come back to the conversation. They can't handle that kind of working dialogue, even if you disagree and come back later to agree. But I think I've found it to be the rare uh, outcome. Uh, most people may may not be happy and they may walk away because they don't agree. Um, we, we are always respectful and civil in doing that. And I've done it on pension reform. Uh, one year I'm working on right to work and the next year I'm working with unions to pass pension reform because we were civil and respectful and that's what they've told us. So, you know, being civil and respectful is the key in working in challenging new relationships and, and maintaining uh, even, even hard conversations. Yeah, I was gonna um, bring up the pension reform that happened last year um, before Burley did, because this reminds me of that. It was my first session as a lobbyist. Um, I've been with AFP for, uh, like Burley said, almost a year and a half. And we were working on pension reform. That was right after they did the entire statewide push for right to work. And Stephen and I were up in Santa Fe and we are working with the union lobbyists. And he's going, wait, you're with them. You're with, you're with AFP. Why, why are you for this? And we ended up doing a phone bank with them and building a great relationship where on the daily, one of their members was asking me, why do you guys hate unions? And I had the opportunity to say, we don't hate unions, but we don't think they should be forced. We think workers should have a right to join or not join and pay dues to a union or a collective bargaining um, unit. So it was a really great opportunity to spend time with them, to get them to see that we're not the devil and that we don't just hate everything that they do and to work together to do good. And this year, this 60-day uh, session with qualified immunity reform reminded me of the same thing. These conversations that I've had with people in other states, because it's mostly virtual, in our coalition, and they're going, hey, well, what else do you think? What do you think about this? Hey, did you see this bill dropped? What do you guys think about it? And I can send it up to policy and get right back to them and say, yeah, we're with you on this. Let me know when it's being heard in committee. And it's, it's just... It's an amazing way to work, and I just love being backed by an organization that will work with anyone to do good and the resources that we have. We could not have done any of this without policy being on point. I probably drove them insane over the last year with qualified immunity, but I've learned so much from them that I can actually hold a conversation and know what's going on about it from comms, the, the whole team, just being able to have the name Americans for Prosperity to invoke when people it gets their attention and they're like wait a second i need to know why you guys are engaging on this issue as a lobbyist i can't i can't think i have yet to see another organization that really can bring this firepower but it's it's from both directions it's both the grassroots side of things and it's the up top policy big guns i would say i'm always bragging about the capabilities that we have and it's just nice to be able to see it all work for for one purpose and and get that across the finish line 
And, you know, I was going to say that it's interesting also to see, like, the differences between people and the difference it makes, too. Like, initially, when we first started the relationship, like, with the ACLU, it was it was, it was was tough to get them to sit down with us. Even once I got the relationship with Paul and we were working on some stuff, it was still a little, little bit of skepticism. And then Paul went off into a different direction. Barron stepped into his shoes at the ACLU. He made the introduction with Baron and me told me that Baron was taken over and Baron, it was like almost from the onset, it was like a complete 180, right? It, it, Baron and I just kind of clicked and it, and it worked and it's been great ever since. And you know, like, I still have a relationship with Paul. I talk to him here and there through text, but me and Baron talk all the time. Baron will call me out of the blue to ask me just my opinion on a po- policy he's looking at. Even if he knows I'm going to disagree with, on it, he wants to know my perspective and know why I disagree on it. And and it's just been it's been really cool to watch how it all has has kind of played out and came together like that. And and watching all these relationships build and how they grow and the trust that was developed and and the relationships it's led to. I've I've been taking calls all week from Louisiana make connecting them with a lot of the people we just got done doing this with there because they're about to go into a qi reform fight there and so it's it's been really it's been really fun being able to even help other people in our network be able to connect with people to make that happen where they're at one thing that i think is important Can I add a to, bit? To, yeah go ahead go ahead sorry sorry Dwayne. um didn't mean to cut you off i um i would say i just add a little color to that um the policy reform we saw last year, we we reformed the pension here, working with Reasons Pension Integrity Project, which we have another collaboration with. And uh, over the interim, again, like we did here, we worked uh, to develop a pension um, reform. And this is another big effort, um, $6.7 billion pension reform. And and in that, there was a, there was a moment as we got into our first committee hearing, and I'm facing all of the union leaders and activists who I've been facing for a year and a half before this and right to work across the state in dozens of hearings that I've been in. And they don't like me um, because I'm opposed to mandatory unionization. We are. And uh, so we have this opposition we don't align on. And the chairman of the committee says the union or the you you people in the crowd will decide who the five people who will testify are and and so i'm looking at you know 85 percent union in the crowd and and I, I walk up to the guys who we've had disagreement strong disagreements on um, and i said guys i understand that we have had disagreements uh, it's important for you to have our testimony in support of this and i'd like to be one of the five and they said Um, I don't know if I'll ever forget this. They said, because of the way you've been civil and respectful in the fight you took, uh, the work you did against us in right to work, you are, uh, we're okay with you being one of the five. Um, And they understood that the capacity and the capabilities that we have in our team here in Americans for Prosperity and across our network was vital for them, important uh, partnership for them, and that they could, they could work with us because of how we, our principles and what we do with uh, aligned uh, efforts. And so we spent the rest of that session working as one of the five key testimonies and passed, I think, the largest pension reform in the country. Um, And in part, that relationship, I think, did something in setting up this one that we had this year in building some small bridges unseen, perhaps, but these that's how you build trust and that's how you work inside of spaces that you never thought you would and it's hard sometimes to understand those little behind the scenes bridges in the mind or otherwise that happen that you can't even quantify um but it it has to do with that consistency of of how your principles are and how you interact and engage and align and and uh, when you disagree you don't you do it with civility and respect and it's just our it's our drumbeat and it's worked really well. One thing that I think people are scared of or, or maybe nervous about when they talk about or think about aligning or working with someone that might turn off their their activists or their base is the idea of, of losing activists, of having people walk. And I understand that. I get that. 
I think what you just talked about, Burley, illustrates something that we've said before, and it goes back to Frederick Bastiat, that the loss of those activists, that's what is seen. But what is unseen are the opportunities and the future activists and the power that you can build through those coalitions to do future things that may be bigger than you thought you could do before. And you have to move, you have to move past that, that initial pain of what you see and focus more on the unseen. What could be, what can we do in the future uh, by building this coalition? Just to add to that real quick before Stephen, if you don't mind, uh, the, the reality is that this is a pro police reform. Legislating from the bench was a poor idea when they designed qualified immunity. It's not something the conservatives believe it. It's not something that um, is defined on, on the rule of law idea. Well, defining the rule of law is something we hold dear. Protecting the higher angels, as um, Leap so well uh, defined it, who are those police officers who protect our people and uphold the rule of law, they want to be free of the police officers who, who give them and there are a few of them. And, and it's hard for those actors, angels, I guess you might say, to, to leave right now. And unfortunately, they repeat poor actions again and again. And, and qualified immunity puts it doesn't it, it puts it back where it should be. Pressure uh, is put under the rule of law, taken to court. And if there's a chance that civil rights happened, then that pressure can go against a bad police officer. It ultimately uh, is a good thing for police officers to have qualified immunity. It um, It is a challenging role they're in, but those higher angels want to work well with their communities. And, uh, and those who know it well, who are police officers, who have family police officers, see this as a well-designed way to make uh, our communities stronger and, and have the police much more integrated and and, and protected in the work that they do uh, to take care of our communities. So it's it's it is unintended consequences when people look at this and see it as a as a, a problem. It's not. It's just not well understood, I think, by many people. So your well, point is well made, Stephen. What do you got? And I just wanted to highlight uh, what Burley had said about pension reform having uh, bleed over into the CJR efforts this session um, because. Damon Eli was somebody that is the one that preempted us at the state level for right to work and killed what we had done at the county level for right to work. And then through the efforts that we've been working on here in New Mexico on CJR since the beginning of the relationship with the ACLU, it's led to Brenda doing an op-ed with Damon Eli on needing criminal justice reform here in New Mexico. And it led to Damon Eli recommending our organization to Denali to work with us on SB 247 and, and the juvenile justice bill. And so there, there's definitely been bleed over in our work throughout the pension reform that's led into a lot of unexpected people working with us on CJR. Somebody, ha- you have to have courage. And and um, it's challenging when you, you have, in this case, uh, Republicans in New Mexico who didn't understand the bill well. Uh, who don't support it, uh, many of them, because they don't know this new space and they don't know how to exist in it and they don't know what's going to happen. To your point about unintended consequences and those unintended consequences are where we are today. If we don't take action on QI, we will stay there. Um, and I think we'll be in a wonderful place now with QI here. But yeah, it's it's a very challenging but rewarding space to be in and it takes courage. To have that integrity. We're talking about an effort that took more than a year. And I'm curious from everyone on the call, when you look back at at the beginning to the passage of this bill, what is the biggest takeaway that you have? What is something that that you say, "This this is important that we learned, this is important that everybody know? What is what is your biggest takeaway on the entire evolution of of what we've talked about? I, I can kind of start. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway that I had was that we, particularly in criminal justice, you, you need to find those strange bedfellows um, or else you know things aren't going to happen. I think the lessons learned here are lessons that have been learned 
uh, like we said, at, at the federal level and other states. You need to come across the aisle and, and work together. You look at some of the big wins that we've had, either at the federal or state level, and they're all things that people from the left and right have come together to bring a compromise. And those that have not, that have tried to you know, forge ahead on their own, thinking that their principles and their policies are the best and that'll win the day, ultimately fail. And, and that's and that's how our system's supposed to work. I mean, it's it's supposed to be hard to pass a bill. It's supposed to be hard to change things that impact your entire state's population. That's really the point. And so until you say, maybe I don't have all the right ideas or we need to think about this or we need to look over here and we need to understand that this coalition is going to impact this voting block or this lawmaker, we, you know, that's when things start to, to move. And so you have to think outside the box. I love you. You use the word courage, Burley. You have to use that word courage. You have to have courage to, to move that and come out there. You have to be like Stephen and, and you know, continue to try to become a preferred partner of the ACLU uh, and get rejected multiple times and, and continue to fight for that and understand that, hey, this is going to be important later on. Um, you need to lay that groundwork so you don't seem like a Johnny completely going through. I mean, those are the takeaways that I have. Uh, I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Yeah, I can jump in. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had was, you know, relationships take a while to build, as we've heard. You know, I didn't know that uh, we've been working and communicating with these organizations for, you know, a year plus. But all that hard work really paid off uh, with this effort. And, you know, I think all of our coalition organizations saw the commitment and determination the you know team New Mexico had on this issue and and this bill and from that you know we were able to coordinate with them on all of our efforts and ensure that we were rowing in the same direction and making sure that people were you know getting the facts on this bill and you know not falling for you know a lot of the rhetoric um, that was coming from you know people that were opposing the bill. Um, so I think it, it really boils down to relationships and, you know, for other states, it, it might take a while with, you know, like the quote unquote strange bedfellows um, coalition that, you know, Team New Mexico helped put together. But, you know, it does really pay off in the end. And, you know, as Greg said, you know, as a nonpartisan organization, we you know really don't care whether, you know, an organization is, you know, considered liberal or conservative what we care about is advancing good policy and you know i think the aclu um and you know law enforcement action partnership and other organizations were you know able to see that and you know with our resources and talent we were able to you know help this coalition you know advance this really good policy and hopefully serve as you know a model for other states to follow for me for me, I don't know if it was it's, – it's not so much from the conversation we've had here, but what's something that I noticed throughout the work on this that led to a lot of success in this, I think. And what that is is everybody involved in this everywhere in the process from our coalition partners in the coalition, policy, Kevin uh, on comms, everybody throughout the whole process had a really amazing contribution mindset. Everybody was eager to look for ways that they could help where they had a comparative advantage to be able to jump in and pick up on something. And, and everybody was constantly looking for that. And, and it, it led to amazing outcomes. Also, real quick, I'd like to add to was uh, all of our activists. We sent over 100,000 text messages and made over 3,000 phone calls. And what was it? Over 4,000, I think, letters sent to legislators. And so our activists really took a huge, huge effort on this, and, and they did a great job. Brenda, John, anything? I, I just feel fortunate enough to be able to jump in late in the game and hop on a, a winning bandwagon. So you guys did all the hard work, but um, you know, glad, glad a couple of connections here and there maybe expedited some of the relationships you're working with. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's uh, you know, one of those things we think about partnerships. It's, it's so great to see, well, one – thinking about like natural partners we have, you know, those folks who maybe you wouldn't necessarily be connected with, but you get your, your friends of a friend that puts you in a room together, which, you know, like Virgin did with, with us and, and Ed and the campaign and, and qualified immunity team and seeing what comes from there was, was really exciting. And, 
and yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it's been so great working with the New Mexico team. I, uh, I feel like this is a, you know, after starting to work with you guys last year on trade bills in New Mexico, it's, it's just so great to see like working with you guys and, and seeing a very tangible win right in front of us, uh, that can be an example for and spur, um, I think future collaborations in other states. So, um, you know, great work by everybody in the team. And, and I was glad to be able to again, jump on the winning bandwagon that you guys, uh, you guys put in motion. Yeah, I learned a lot, Dwayne. I learned a lot in every aspect. Every day I learned a lot, but mostly about how to be a good partner and what it looks like to be a good partner. And I didn't learn that on my own. I learned that by seeing how some of these partners were treating us as partners. And so I was also able to see, you know, the things that I thought maybe didn't make a good partner and, you know, oh, that's not how I want to treat a partner. But I am really excited to see what what the future holds in all of these relationships that we've been building. I do have to say that your podcast on qualified immunity, titled Just in Time, Qualified Immunity Reform, was just in time because it came out right before the special session where we established the Civil Rights Commission, which ultimately recommended this bill. And I listened to that podcast about 14 times before that special session started. And I have revisited it probably like 30 times since then over the months. So that <laughs> that information was so valuable to me. I just had to give you that shout out real quick. Well, if Thank I'm not mistaken, you. that was all that was all Greg God or Greg's brain, wasn't it? Well, Dwayne, you know, you, you had mentioned that um, more viewers are going to be good for you. And and um, sometimes it's the right viewer 14 times. Yeah, that's that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, I continue to learn that things that are considered to be impossible or not, that you can break the barriers that exist, that you can, can overcome what may seem like adversity, that is important to carry yourself well in how you treat people and respect them, to try and build great relationships, to take the time to maintain them, to let people do the amazing things they do and, and get out of the way, to carry yourself with principles. I have continued to see things that I didn't think would happen happen because you are more focused on what you align toward than you are on what you're not. And if you let people do the things they wanna do, Amazing things happen from the bottom up, and I, I more and more believe in that every day. And uh, I think this is—I'm incredibly proud of what happened here, and it's incredible to watch. And I have higher hopes for all the hard things, the conversations that we all have to have to make this, to break the barriers, um, and and we'll do them with respect and civility and courage. And and I'm really excited to take on those next big barriers and I know we can do them and this proved it. Thanks again to everyone who went into this podcast and made it possible. Not going to name names at this point because, well, you remember there's a lot of them, but they know who they are and I appreciate you being here to tell us about the the work that went into making this coalition as successful as it was. For Insight to Action, I'm Dwayne Lester.